Hey, this is Max from the Arkells, and you're listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. going on everybody we are live with underground sports philadelphia episode number 179 kyle bennett matt castorino live from underground studios as always show brought to you by main auto llc ducharms pro foot security 21 wainwright bernhardt funeral home paul j gillespie incorporated mark ronchetti cpa llc and the dental wellness center of vineland matt we are back for another sixer saturday and it is finally here, and it wouldn't be a Sixer Saturday without Joel Embiid being out. <laughs> What's going on, man? Uh, just living the dream, except for uh, Embiid being out tonight. Which the only unfortunate part about it is he does. We don't get any good Embiid Drummond content. Um, it's kind of weird, dude. I didn't see anything in the game where he like was like hobbling off or anything. I don't know if it's just something that as like the days went on popped up or maybe in practice i don't know it wasn't until yesterday that we even heard about this like ankle sprain but uh officially ruled out and mike scott is also probably is a small entry as well yeah mike scott probable and uh i was on twitter right before i uh went and got us live his agent quote tweeted uh the tweet from the sixer saying that he was probable and it's like really mike with a, a shrugging mike scott gift so <laughs> If I'm looking at that, I feel like Mike's probably going to play. Yeah. Um, but Embiid being out is unfortunate, especially since they're playing the Pistons, and we always love seeing Embiid bully Andre Drummond. Um, but this is what they signed Al Horford for. Yeah, and I mean, not only that, it, the Pistons as well missing Blake Griffin. So, you know, both teams without their, their best players. So uh, it's not like they're coming in fully healthy either, which is, is good for us. And I, I think even without Embiid, this is a team we should be beating. The, the question is, is just how long uh, is Embiid going to be out? We haven't heard any kind of timetable or anything. And hopefully it, it's just one of those things that's like, you know, give him the long weekend to, mm -hmm. to get uh, healthy for. We've seen that with Embiid in the past with his injuries that they'll just, uh, you know, give him like four or five straight days of rest. Um Hopefully that's that's what this is. This isn't a long-term thing, but like you said, this is why he signed someone like Al Horford, and his team is in a better place depth-wise than it's been in recent years, although it's still not the best depth you can get. But definitely, um, I, I'm not sweating this as long as this isn't something long-term. Yeah, and uh, you know, Wednesday night when we had our, our preview show, they kicked things off against the Celtics, and that was a hell of a win. You know, that was... Arguably, since last year when they beat the Celtics in that like nail biter game, uh, after one of our shows, that was you know this past Wednesday was the most dominant I've seen them against the Celtics in a really long time. Yeah, I mean this has been a team that even last year in parts I thought we were we were a better team than that we haven't been able to beat, and it's always been a little bit of self destruction, always been a little bit of the matchup itself, 
And, you know, I think one of the biggest positives from this offseason is that we stole Al Horford from them. And he's someone that in the past has really shut down and beat. And, and we know is also limited what Ben can do. And I think you saw especially Ben's game. Uh, it was just a lot more open for him. And there's still, you know, there's still some issues. And it wasn't, you know, scoreline I think is a little more uh, – nice to us than than it the game actually was because it was pretty tight going into the fourth quarter we were i would say in control but um makes it look a little more of a blowout than it actually was um definitely i, I felt we it's not like we didn't deserve to win or anything like that and like i said i feel we controlled the game pretty pretty effectively but um i i, I do think that uh it still was was a close close enough game and but this is it was kind of everything we expected the Sixers to look like, which was a little herky-jerky on offense, um, a little bit of, you know, we, we saw some, like, bright spots, I'll say, you know, I, I think some of the ball movement we saw was was better than we've seen in, in recent years, um, you could definitely tell this is a team with two very new starters trying to figure some things out, and didn't shoot very well, um, which I don't expect <laughs> to continue that we, we shoot the way we did, um, yeah, but I mean, it was, it kind of turned into just a rock fight. And that's what the identity of this Sixers team is going to be. And I thought defensively, that was as good of a performance as we've had, especially when you consider also Kemba Walker was allegedly playing. Um, <laughs> he's someone that's burned us a lot. And players like him have burned us a lot. And mm-hmm. I think the fact that he was largely nullified by this team is, is a really positive sign. Because that's like a clear thing I think you can point to and say that's that's different than in years past. Because... He's someone that's always uh, been an issue. Yeah, and talking about Kemba Walker, uh, Matisse Thibel just put the clamps on him. Yeah. And that was a huge thing we talked about, you know, while we were live on Wednesday was, you know, how much burn is Matisse going to get, uh, you know, when it when it counts. And he was getting meaningful minutes. Sure, he didn't put up the points you'd probably want to see from him. But defensively, he was an absolute animal. And he shut Kemba Walker down where last year there were games we were talking about Kemba Walker, you know, completely being a one-man band destroying this team and Matisse Thibel shut him down you know like he's a seasoned veteran yeah I Thibel I thought had a, had a great debut especially when you consider Boston's a good team and uh you know it's probably going to be a top three top four seed in the east so it's, it's not even like oh you know it's you know pretty low level team now this is this is as good of a matchup as you're going to get and again I think you know, you look at the wing players that they have and the guys who was responsible for guarding a lot and the plays that he made, he's making them against either past all-stars or all-star hopefuls, you know, and that as a rookie to step in in your first game and do that and, and look pretty composed is good. Um, and I, I think it gives us a lot of uh, a lot of bright spots for the future with, with him. And I think everyone's rightfully uh, pretty pumped up about him. And I think what we saw was very encouraging going forward. And they were able to come away with this win and look as dominant as they did. And Embiid wasn't even like yeah playing at really his slow best. night for him. Um, which was that's something you want to be able to see. Obviously, you don't want Embiid to struggle like that. But if he's going to have those games you want to be able to have everybody around him step up, and that's exactly what they did. Ben Simmons had, I thought, you know, a fantastic game. Um, probably his best game against Boston in his career, uh, outside of, you know, not shooting a three. But, that, that Christmas game last year was really good yeah. until overtime, <laughs> when he absolutely cost us the game. But, yeah, so, I mean, definitely... this was definitely, I think, Ben's most complete game, you could say, against Boston from start to finish. Josh Richardson, 
I just love him. His effort was unbelievable. It, the Sixers team, I think, a lot this year is going to be a, a death by a thousand cuts situation, which, um, you know, it's just, it's going to be like, we're like a boa constrictor. Like, it's not overwhelming speed. It's not overwhelming offensive power, but it's a team that you're not going to be able to move very effectively. Right. And it's just, it literally just going to choke you to death. And, um, you know, it's going to take very, very special offensive performances by other teams, I think, to really get over the Sixers. And, you know, my, my one thing is I think we're a little more built for the playoffs than we are for the regular season, but defense is something that can, you know, on any given night win you games. I, I think it did in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, just kind of looking at the team, you know, what's exciting too is Thibault, again, we expect that debut to kind of continue in what we saw in preseason and a little bit in summer league. This is two straight years where the Sixers have – picked you know it's early on five right i don't want right. to go overboard but have picked good players in, in like the mid to late 20s you know uh landry the year before and now five and landry unfortunately not on the sixers anymore but that's another like positive sign to me is you know teams like we expect to be picking in that range hopefully in like the third <laughs> um <laughs> We expect to be picking in that range for the foreseeable future. So the fact that in, in two straight seasons, even though we really like telegraphed that we were picking Fiebel this year and we had to give up some extra capital to, mm-hmm. to actually get him, I, I do think that's also a positive kind of looking at, at the bigger picture here, that two straight seasons, you, you, you seem like you've, you have you hit on Landry, and I think uh, we can all agree that Fiebel looks like he's going to be a very solid uh, contributor this season. It's just co- sort of what his ceiling is at this point is, is what the question is, but his floor looks great. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's all positive. And I think you look at the stats, too, and uh, the, like I said, the shooting looked ugly, which isn't particularly surprising, but I do think that we'll have, we'll have much better nights than we did. Um, we out-rebounded them 62-41, to 41, which is just monstrous. And, and that's one thing that I think we're going to have when you start, like, breaking down, you know, matchups as you get in, like, the semifinals and the finals of the conferences. No one has, like, the front court power that we do. You know, you look at somehow some of the other teams are built, and they have great wing players, and they might have one, you know, good, like, stretch center or something like that, but no one has the interior presence that the Sixers do. And I actually think you look across the league, and I'm not sure outside of maybe the Lakers that you have, like, a four and a five because that's kind of how LeBron and Davis will will probably play in some crunch time. Like, I I just don't know that you have the punch like that. And also, your length, I think, helps with that rebounding, too. Like, it's that's impressive that you're going to be able to bully teams as much as they are. And, yeah, I I think it was was a really good performance. I think it was also the first time we won a home opener since 2013. Yeah, the uh, MCW Heat (laughs) matchup. Which is really surprising. Um I don't know, you know, and you just hope a lot of that continues against Detroit. And obviously without Embiid, I'm actually a little more interested now to yeah. even watch the game just because, one, I, I, I'd i imagine Horford is sliding into that spot. I wonder who's going to start, you know, for what you would imagine Horford sliding into the five. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I think, is an, an interesting point here too. And um, I think, too, without Embiid, you might see – just some some different uh, different style of the Sixers, and that's that's going to have me very curious for for Detroit tonight. And we'll see probably more Kyle O'Quinn, and you know he comes in, boom, three pointer. <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. Um, and you know I was it was the the quote I'd say after the game that was most intriguing from Brett was uh, in his you know New England main act. I'm trying to find a bomber. Uh, 
and he's he's putting he put a lot of faith in Furkan Korkmaz yeah. in that game. You know, he played 19 minutes. Sure, he only hit that one dagger three, but uh, at that point in the game, that was huge. And you know, it seems like Brett wants to kind of groom Furkan to be this team's next JJ Redick. Granted, Furkan's not going to be JJ when it comes to you know shooting. He's one of the best shooters we've seen in our lifetime. Um, but you know, if if Brett has the faith in this guy, it's just weird because. This is a guy that they declined his option uh, last season. Then, you know, he's a free agent. No, but he can't find anywhere to go. He almost goes back to Europe, and then he comes back to the Sixers. And now Brett is putting, you know, a ton of faith in Furkan to be the guy to come off the bench for this team and potentially be like that three-point dagger shooter. Yeah, I was very surprised to see Furkan come in as, as early as he did and not look bad. Um, I'll say this though about Furkan is we've seen times where he's looked pretty good mm-hmm. and the, the reason that he's not been a, a guy that's garnered a lot of minutes and that we weren't didn't seem too very high on you know at the beginning of the summer is because he's inconsistent so I'm not ready to buy in on Furkan just yet but I do I do understand Brett's point that we are going to need shooting it's going to be very hard to just find that you know this year you know you, you once you get to like buyout time and all that, which is so far away, you know, there's no guarantees that you're going to land the guys that you want, and you are going to have to build from within. I think, and if Furkan is that guy, then then sure. But um, I I still think the jury's out on him a little bit. But yeah, that that was definitely I think probably the most surprising part of the night. Actually, it was just how much time and how early he was in the game, and yeah, he wasn't getting like garbage minutes or anything. So we'll see where uh, the Furkan train leads us and. I do understand Brett's point, but I just I have a hard time believing in Furkan. I just do. Me too, because we've seen it. You know, yeah. we've seen the the utter dominance. He had that preseason game where everybody was all aboard the Furkan train, and then we've seen him in the regular season where he's just been flat out bad, more likely than not. Uh, somebody that was flat out bad in this game was James Ennis, uh, which was disappointing because he was a guy that a lot of Sixers fans, us included. If he were to come back, he's somebody that we're going to heavily rely on coming off the bench, uh, kind of in that combo six-man with Mike Scott, and he only came away with three points in 17 minutes and just didn't look good while he was out there. I, I think that's a, a little bit of just matchup issue. Um, you know, again, I, I don't want us to forget that Boston's a good team, and wing depth is, you know, probably their their best thing, and, and they have some of the best wing depth in, in the NBA. And they've really versatile defenders, and they make life very difficult. And um, I, I don't think it's all that surprising that Ennis struggled a bit with that. Um, again, you know, with a lot of your bench guys, you're not going to get, you know, A, B plus, you know, consistent performances every single night. You're going to have a few C minuses, some Ds, some As in there. Like, it, it's you're going to have some variance, and I, I think it, that's more of what we saw uh, on Wednesday from Ennis. So. I'm not. I'm not overly concerned about it. Obviously, you want to see him have those consistent times, but I, I just think you're not really going to get that. And um, you know, I, I think what's positive though, again, is in games like this in the past, if someone like Ennis had an off night, your whole second unit kind of deflates, and that that, that just wasn't the case. And um, you know, again, you know, if Embiid had an off night, if you had said. Wednesday at 7, <laughs> right before tip-off, Embiid's only going to have 15 points tonight. He's going to shoot, what do you shoot, uh, 5 of 14 uh, and, and 50% from the line. 
do we win or lose? I honestly think that we probably lose that game. Whereas instead, I think we controlled the game very well and ended up with a, a really comfortable win by the end of it, where we were able to put you know some garbage players in. Um, so that to me is is what's different about the Sixers than than years past is you can live with some D performances from guys that you normally need Bs or Cs from, and uh, we have increased depth and I think also the starting five is is much more capable of picking up some slack than than we've seen. Definitely, and uh, you look at just the Celtics stat line too. Like you said, Kemba allegedly played. They paid Jalen Brown over a hundred million dollars to put up eight points. Marcus Smart played 33 minutes, came away with four points, just absolute shut him down. Um, I'd say the the only, like, I guess surprise was that Gordon Hayward actually looked pretty solid, um, looked better than he has, you know, in years past. And um, that's probably my only concern with the Celtics team is if he kind of, you know, finds his way again, that's going to be a, a boost for them. But outside of everything else, they really – shut this team down and it's it's rare in you know 2019 to hold an NBA team under 100 points so for yes. them to be able to do that especially against a good team like the Boston Celtics I'm very happy with you know the way the defense played and I think the only other concern I'd have uh from this game was you know the turnovers were still there they're gonna happen but if they can cut down just a little bit on those and keep it maybe in that you know 8 to 10 range rather than it being 15 uh this team is is poised for a lot of success. That's an evergreen sentence right there. Yes. If the Sixers could just cut down turnovers, how good that is. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what's frustrating too is you still saw some of the Ben like uh, Showtime plays that he mm-hmm. tries to make, and it's you know the thing is is that's part of Ben's DNA, and it's hard like for him to cut that out of his game. Um, but like ideally, you you would like to see us cut down on the turnovers by a pretty significant margin, and. Um, that that that's a concern for me, you know, because that's something that you know can kill you in the playoffs, um, and like it, I don't know, you know, it, for 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 Ben especially, he's someone that has always had a pretty heavy turnover rate, and part of that is because he's you know constantly leading transition, which you know those plays can get broken up, and I don't know, you know, we we didn't see it from Embiid, but I think that's mostly because we kind of strayed away from him offensively a bit, um, but. I don't know. You know, I think we need to see Ben is the Ben and Embiid are the two guys that are going to be responsible for turnovers the most because of the guys with the ball in their hand the most. We we need just better <laughs> better rates from them, mm-hmm. and we've seen it with Embiid in the in the past two years that he's kind of been on this steady decline with his turnovers. Whereas Ben, it's you know his turnover percentage I think is like nineteen or twenty percent, which is like obscene. So we, that's that's an area that we we definitely need to cut down on. And again, it's it's Boston, so it's a tough matchup, but. Um. Yeah, I don't know how we live. <laughs> I don't know how we live with with turnovers like that. I yeah. don't. Um, and one thing we talked about at nauseum last year was Lloyd Pierce no longer, you know, running this defense, and um, the defense took a, I'd say, a significant step back last year. And uh, how much do you think, you know, Ime Adoka coming in here played a part in the way that they were able to kind of execute on Wednesday night against this Celtics team because the defense was the bright spot you know like we said holding the team to 93 points in 2019 in the nba is rare so how much do you think his presence and you know just his uh familiarity with kind of how brett probably runs things coming from that spurs coaching tree is going to help this team 
get back to you know two years ago defense or even better than they were last year. I, I think it's it's a sort of a multi ingredient uh, recipe that's getting us to the defense we have now. I think yeah, some some new coaching faces obviously helps, but I think even just personnel. Um, you look at the starting five. Tobias Harris is your worst defender, which is um, you know. I think Tobias is like an average to below average defender. He's he's not really particularly like light on his feet. I, I you know he's not great, but he's your fifth best defender in your starting lineup. And I I think the other four guys are all potential, you know, all uh, all defensive team, you know, guys. Like that's that's doesn't happen. And I, I think the personnel helps quite a bit. And um, yeah, I think it's a little more flexible than it's been in years past where. You know, you kind of had to hide J.J. Redick or you had to ride, uh, hide Sarich even. Um, you know, we've always had these kind of really big holes on the starting five defensively, and that's really not there now. And, and I think that's that's a big bonus and something that, you know, you're just not going to have to worry about as much, uh, someone getting singled out because everyone can guard multiple positions to, to at least some effective degree. And again, I think Embiid is kind of a perennial top five defensive player of the year candidate uh josh richardson looks like unbelievably engaged which you know jimmy butler last year and i don't want to like slander him for that but you know jimmy butler last year in the regular season defense was not good um when he was locked in in the playoffs it was good but you know he wasn't someone that was going to give you that commitment every single night whereas if josh richardson gives us performances like that i i don't know but um yeah i think that's going to be a big thing as well it's just uh, i think in consistency overall in defensive performance is going to be a lot better and I think one of the reasons besides just Lloyd Pierce last year was again the personnel and I think the fact that we talk about it so much but this team changed identities and personnel three different times throughout the year and I I think that's very hard to maintain any kind of philosophical consistency when it comes to how you want to play on both sides of the ball and I think defense did struggle a lot for many reasons last year and I think for all those same reasons, it's going to be improved this year because your personnel and coaching, I think, is probably taking a step up. Yeah, and uh, I got a, a nice little tally mark in the, the win column as Josh Richardson rung the bell yes. after uh, the Boston game. You know, And he's going to be adored by this city just by the way he conducts himself on the court. He's the guy that's loud, you know, getting hyped up in your face. He's like your starter version of Mike Scott. Like He's just going to be that guy that, you know, Fans are going to gravitate towards him, I think, and he's going to be one of those beloved figures in Philadelphia for as long as he's here. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad he's here because he looked damn good against Boston, and I'm excited to see him, you know, just continue to grow with this this team. And uh, what he brings to the table, I think, is something this team was missing for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's, um, again, you, you can talk all day about the difference between him and, and J.J. Redick. And JJ, like you said, is is one of the best shooters that we've had in the league since he's been here. Um, Josh Richardson isn't a slouch on that, and he didn't have a great performance overall on, on that first game. But I expect to see him re- be a really, really big threat from three. But what he gives you, I think, defensively that JJ just wasn't able to is it's really impressive. And again, because Richardson is on a team like this now, like, and I think it's the same with all the other starting five is you were able to lock in on your strengths so much more than I think than whenever his time on the Heat, and I think for Horford on his time with the Celtics to a degree and, and with the Hawks. Um, you just look at, like, 
how they're able to dial in because you don't need to worry as much about you know picking up extra assignments or, or who's going with like you are just playing on such a better team it makes a lot of those that extra stuff a lot more simple and you can focus much more on giving 100% effort every night on defense as opposed to having to maybe save your legs a little bit. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where I think a lot of that comes from, too, is just him being on such a, a much more improved and well-rounded team is going to do wonders for him. I think it's the same with guys that we've seen here, you know, with, with Ben and Embiid and Harris. Like, I, I do think that the way this team is set up, it's going to allow them all to kind of just be a little more specialized, whereas in the past, everyone's kind of had to really be like a jack of all trades on yep. this team you know because like and, and cover for a lot of other people I, I i just don't think you're going to see that as much this season for sure and you know i think going into tonight like we said before i'm more intrigued to watch this game to see how brett kind of manages things without joel and having horford more than likely slide into the five and then going through his rotations to see how brett manages it in those games where we know Embiid's going to get more rest this season, so this is you know just an early season test to see what Brett can do, you know, creative wise to to make this lineup click without your best player. Yeah, I think what's interesting about Brett and one of the, I think his his strengths is his way of uh, kind of stacking lineups and, and staggering people and making sure that you have at least one or two of your best guys on the floor at all times, and that's. That's going to be interesting. I think it's uh, a unique challenge for him tonight as well, uh, this early in the season, to kind of be without Embiid. You know, you you plan for at points of the year to be without him just due to probably even just straight-up rest. Um, But, yeah, you know, an unplanned absence from him tonight. And I I am curious to see just kind of what Brett does to to fold over that that crack now. And I I think it's it's going to be a fun matchup too. Detroit's a fun team to to go up against. Obviously, again, when you don't have VMB Drummond uh, fireworks, it's not as engaging. But um, yeah, I I like playing Detroit usually because we beat Detroit. So, uh, and I honestly expect nothing different tonight. I think I'm looking just for hopefully a little better offensive performance. Uh, Detroit isn't as tough of a team, pretty much any way you cut it, as, as Boston is. Um, I am curious to see how Drummond matches up with who I'm assuming will be Horford. Um, that's that's going to be a fun matchup. And, yeah, I'm just hoping we see a little little better three-point shooting, even a little better free-throw shooting, I thought, at times. We, a little shaky on that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. Like, I'm very happy also mm-hmm. just to have Sixers back in right. our life. <laughs> Especially with everything else going on in this Philly sports landscape. But Sixers tonight, 7 o'clock start, I believe. Uh, in Detroit, so make sure you're following us on Twitter for all those Sixers updates. Um, but Matt, this Eagles team, <laughs> yesterday was a whirlwind of sound bites and just nonsense. Uh, first things first, we get the 911 call. We didn't mention this on Wednesday, but we're glad Fletcher Cox is okay. Uh, somebody trying to break into his home. Uh, the 911 call gets released, and Fletcher Cox says that he is threatening to blow the guy's brains out with his shotgun uh, as the guy is, like, smashing all of the windows in Fletcher Cox's house. Um, we're just glad Fletch is okay. And, you know, you never want to see any of that happen. And um, it's just the, the cherry on top of all the nonsense that's been going on with this team. Orlando Skandrick... Um, recently cut by the Eagles, decides to go on Undisputed with known Cowboys sympathizer and fan Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp, and just decides to air out a ton of dirty laundry. 
Um, and I don't know how much of it I'm taking as fact, but I think there's definitely some facts in there. Because Especially when you see some of the players' responses to it. Is... Yes. And most of it is because we've heard a lot of this already. You know, Monday we, we were speculating all over Twitter. People thought the anonymous source was Alshon Jeffrey. And then a lot of people backed down on it and said, oh, this sounds like it could be a defensive player. And then Josina Anderson, not really tipping who her source was because that would just be absolutely stupid. Um, she quote tweets the Orlando Scandrick news from another uh, reporter or something like that and says, on the record. Uh, so it sounds like it just continues to seem like it's a defensive player, if not Scandrick, just her not directly saying it. Um, he, he goes on Undisputed, says he wouldn't trust Howie Roseman if he told him it was raining mm-hmm. outside, which was okay, like... Sure, that, he's that a, seems like a, a just a soundbite thing. Yes. I, and that's so. My issue with this overall is I actually think the root of what he's saying is almost a hundred percent true. And and okay, so here's my overall issue: is this is not even just this past week and this past month is not the first time we've heard about this. Mm-hmm. We can remember, every, and everyone, including Eagles players, shut down that story last year about how there was this anonymous source within the locker room, whatever, that really didn't like Carson Wentz and questioned his leadership. And questioned the Wentz Foles thing, like that whole dichotomy. And people gave that author, and people gave that source, and people gave the whole article a lot of crap, including Eagles players. They were quote tweeting saying, This is nonsense. You're hearing the exact same things a year later. Or I think it was, it was, it was in like off the season. Yeah. So. But you know, like, I'm a big believer in where there's smoke, where there's fire. Like, oh, yeah. you know, there's always rumors. There's always, like, and this is with. I'm talking locker room stuff. I'm also talking like trade stuff. Like I always think there's at least a hint. And normally when someone's getting a source, like there's some reason for it, there's some motivation, whether it's throw the sun off or they are genuinely frustrated by things going on. My issue is that Orlando Skandrick's, I don't know, interview, I guess you'd call it, or appearance on the show is so weighed down by like quotes like about the high Roseman thing that are just so clearly like... Bitter because he got cut. Not only just bitter, but exaggerated so that it's like it's a show right like right. you hear like skip they're both characters like and skandrick I, is a guy who is on the record saying once his playing career is done he immediately wants to get into tv so because he says things like that in this interview people will latch on to that to say oh well like this guy's a clown and then even the official's eagle account put out which again i think was just not a good look in my opinion that like video of him walking up to Malcolm Jenkins and saying, mm-hmm. oh, you're, "That's why you're the leader of this team." Like, you're making his exact point. You know, like his exact point was that there is there is issues in the locker room with leadership, and that a lot of the leaders in the locker room are coasting. And you know, one of the uh, I, I heard uh, or I saw a tweet that you know someone someone in the locker room said he's just mad because he didn't get a ring. You know, he wasn't here for the Super Bowl season, which, again, is his exact point. The that, Super Bowl was two years ago. Yeah, that part, like, it's time am, to give it up. Yeah, that's the part where I am like, okay, I believe that, you know, there's guys in this locker room that are still latching on to 2017. And like you said, that was two years ago. Like, sure, there's still a lot of guys from that team still here, but you need to move on. That's like, not good leadership. No. And I, I, think he, I think he makes... Some valid points, and now sure. you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Because again, he is someone that was just recently cut, and you know maybe he's a scapegoat, whatever, and he feels a little hard done by that. 
But I, I don't think what he said was like so obscenely wrong like people are treating it. And again, it's getting weighed down by, again, players quote tweeting and saying, well, clown, whatever. And it's like, okay, well, you're, I don't know. I just feel like you're proving his point when you're quote tweeting it with the clown emoji or when the, the official account is like putting up that video. Because it's like... See, I think the thing... And, and the, 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 the biggest issue, not to cut you off, but the biggest issue is that we have always said that this may not be like this was a talented team coming in the season but i think one of the greatest strengths of this team was not just the talent but that there were leaders in the locker room and it felt like doug peterson knows how to create and and like i think that the large opinion of him is that he is someone that knows how to create a good culture and that seems to really understand guys and get them motivated to play you could Outside of all of this nonsense that we've seen from this week, I don't think you could honestly look me in the eye and tell me that this looks like a team that is really motivated or that is in a good place. Like a lot of what Orlando was saying in that interview, I feel like we've all just kind of thought and theorized we've our own. Said. And now you have a guy literally from the locker room saying it. And again, of course you have to take it with a grain of salt because he just got cut mm-hmm. and he's on a national show, so of course he's gonna he's gonna exaggerate he's a little sort bit. Of motivation but there. like the exact things that fans themselves are thinking about and are saying is being confirmed by a guy who was just in the locker room. I think my I don't biggest, know. my biggest issues that I have with what he said was one, the way he went about it and it was discussed on Twitter with a bunch of people uh, including uh, Kiana at Real Mama Eagle, great follow on uh, Twitter for Eagles Twitter. Uh, she said the way that he came about it, it sounds like he didn't say these things to guys like Malcolm Jenkins, like face to face, where he brings up the issue, like, "Hey, like we need to step up or we need to have accountability." Like for him to go on undisputed and say all this stuff, and then say, "I'm not going to name names," but then he goes and literally lists off any possible way to describe Malcolm Jenkins. I caught a little issue with that because, like, just flat out say it. Like, if you have nothing to lose, just say who you're talking about. Like, it's not that difficult. And it made it sound like he was just saying it because he was on TV. He was in the spotlight like that. And he never really confronted anybody in the locker room about it. Um, Which then the Eagles bring up that video. And sure, probably wasn't the best look. But it goes to show you that, like, a week ago, Orlando Skandrick was on the sideline in the midst of a game praising a guy that he goes on TV where now he potentially has some sort of agenda to get across bashing him. So that's where I take issue with his comments about Malcolm Jenkins. And sure, Malcolm hasn't been good this year. No. Like, <laughs> no. no one not has. Been Malcolm I don't Jenkins. think you can say a single eagle besides Brandon Graham has looked good, and I think Carson in parts has looked good. And that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you We've can pick many glimpses. people out of defense. We haven't had a complete anything from anyone. No. Um, but you know, Malcolm hasn't been good this year and he, he has flat out said, you know, the thing that I also took issue with was Orlando Skandrick, you know, kind of speaking, I guess, for Rasul Douglas a little bit. He brings up Rasul Douglas's name when he's talking about Malcolm, uh, from that Vikings game and Malcolm flat out took accountability for, you know, missing that route for Stefan Diggs. Um, so I don't know where he was getting that from, but you know, we know this team has issues, and now it's just continuing to get air out there. It happens on a Friday. So now, instead of talking about this Bills game, we're talking about a guy who's not even in the locker room anymore. One guy that I've always had respect for and have even more respect for is Jalen Mills. All the stuff he was saying in the locker room, flat out true. He said, we need to you know, step up. We have to be accountable. We can't worry about what some guy that's not even on the team anymore is saying. We have to get focused and... I've seen it all over Twitter now. P- 
people that were previously bashing Jalen Mills for his play on the field have been praising him nonstop now. And, I mean, I've always been a Jalen Mills fan, and for him to step up and become kind of a vocal leader this week is something this team needs too. You know, we said last week we need his swagger back on the field, and now we're getting his accountability and leadership off the field, and I think that's a big, you know, boost for this team. Granted, it's only one person, but it needs to continue to happen. And all of this Nick Foles, Carson Wentz talk, I was praying that this would be gone this season now that Nick Foles is no longer here. And yet, here we are again talking about it. And, uh, you know, James Seltzer brought this up on the Go Birds pod too. You know, Chris Long <coughs> talked about, uh, on the I think it was on the Ringer podcast he went on, that he said Carson Wentz is not the issue. But... If you remember last year, Chris Long's the guy that was making the shrine for Nick Foles in the locker room, you know, bringing that to light again. So, like, that's a little, you know, contradicting a bit there where you're the guy kind of putting the Nick Foles shrine out there and then saying Carson's not the issue. There's definitely guys in there, I think, that would rather have Nick Foles because that's the guy that they look to in the biggest moments of their lives and he performed at the highest level in two back-to-back games to deliver a Super Bowl for this team. But like we said... That was two years ago. You need to build that bridge and get the hell over it because right now this team is a sinking ship and I don't know what direction they're going to go in. Yeah, and okay, so additionally, you know, you also have Lane Johnson saying about people showing up mm-hmm. late to meetings. And stuff. Like all of this is very uncharacteristic things from this Eagles team. And, and again, this, is a, this isn't a young team either where it's like, okay, they're young guys. Like these are established all pro players, you know, like that, that just frankly know better. And I think, as well, what would Jalen Ramsey be like in this locker room right now? Everyone wanted to, to take their shots at Howie for not pulling the trigger or whatever, but I, I can't help but wonder what a very uh, very confident player like Jalen Ramsey he so has he no gone two ways. Has, he has no problem being outspoken, and I agree. He could have been the guy that kind that of blue. just choke everyone out and be like, all right, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Or he could just completely kind of it. flip into the other way where it's like, okay, antagonistic Jalen. And not only that, but again, you just look at the way this season is going. I don't know who's confident about going to Buffalo on Sunday, honestly. Um, you know, you're giving up the picks that you would have for someone like Jalen with a season that looks like after we could be talking Monday morning, the season being done. If you're three and five, I'm sorry. I like I you just can't don't. win seven of eight with the schedule they have. I just die. It's, that's tough. Um, so yeah, and it's it's weird. It's just so weird because it's just so out of character for this Eagles team, and it's been a, a just cultural implosion, which is not what you expected. And yeah, there's been injuries and in, in, in all that. And I think even last year there was tons of injuries to deal with. In 2017, there was. That was the thing. And that's what makes it confusing as well, is this team has faced adversity. It's not like they've had smooth rides here, like this is the end of like some dynasty where it's been like they've been so dominant. Like this team has only had one really good year and they you know, they they won the Super Bowl that season. Like it's not like a team that's you would say is spoiled. Again, it's not a young team that's only known success. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of these guys have been with the Eagles for a long time where it's a lot of eight and eight seasons. That is one thing Skandrick did say though that kind of stuck out in my mind though, is twenty seventeen a lot of these guys did come in, especially that secondary and some of the, you know, like guys like Corey Clement and some of the offensive linemen, uh, Big V notably, where we saw last year, he was, you know, struggling because he was like, oh, you know, I stepped in during the Super Bowl and everything was fine. A lot of these guys came to this team that are on the younger side, and the first thing they experienced was 13-3, and a playoff run, and they got a ring on their finger. Yeah, and but it's like you would expect the guys like Malcolm Jenkins mm-hmm. to 
rally that and and, and it's just like it's so bizarre like every, every story that we've had this week feels like it could be its own chapter and it's all happened in like five days the cowboys game feels like an eon ago it does and that might actually be for the better yeah. because like it's almost it's almost in a way good that all this drama happened this week because at least it detracts from just thinking about what an absolute embarrassment that was um but i do worry just what buffalo is going to have in store because it's not like that's I actually think that, that that might be a, a tougher matchup you'd think overall than Dallas to just be very frank. Um I like I I worry about this team and I worry about the future as well because like he, I just don't know where you go from here if this season really turns south now. Like and and this is again we're only 3 and 4 right now. It's not like this team is like the the Falcons where it's mm-hmm. like oh my god. Like everything has gone wrong. Uh blow it's it up. The Bengals. Yeah, like this team is like technically still in it. Even if you lose on Sunday, like you could at least convince yourselves, mm-hmm. and the optimistic fans will convince themselves that nine and seven will be good enough, and that you can do that. But it's uh, an uphill battle. Like, wh- where where is that like mental resurgence that we've always felt that you had with this Eagles team? That that is my question. Is like wh- where is I just don't know what's gone wrong exactly. And you know, people want to talk about like my grow is not good, right? And I know Schwartz as well is catching a lot of heat. But like, it almost feels like that's the uh, the symptom, not the cause. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and and I don't want to like go too much in like Doug Peterson and like what he may or may not be doing wrong. But you you listen to some of his interview questions too, and he, he seems like a different Doug yeah. than we've seen. Like, I don't know. I was gonna say a lot of this, in my opinion, stems from Doug. He's the guy that was brought in here. You know, when he was hired, uh, Jeffrey Lurie talked about, and so did Howie Roseman, emotional intelligence being able to, quote-unquote, open your hearts and everything like that because Chip Kelly was distant from his players and uh, they wanted a guy that was going to come in here and, you know, be there for his guys. And that's what we got from Doug Peterson in the first couple years. And right now, this locker room is, from the outside looking in, falling apart, and a lot of that starts on Doug. He's the guy that needs to keep this locker room together. It starts with him when it's in the locker room. And then that has to trickle down to the player. Sure, he has his leadership council and everything that he's put in place. But Doug Peterson's the guy that has to control the culture of this locker room. And right now, it's like it's a frenzy. So I don't know if a lot of it's on Doug. But from the outside looking in, it starts with Doug Peterson. And right now, I don't think he has a grasp on this locker room. You don't get to take the – and, you know, not that all the credit should go to him, but – you know, I felt like, especially post Super Bowl and, and even all throughout last year and after the playoffs, Doug Peterson gets, gets a lot of the credit for like the good locker room and the, the ice cream stuff. You know, like mm-hmm. everyone, everyone loves Doug. Yep. You don't get to take that credit without also taking the heat, right? right. That's just the part of being even the the, the leader. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's fair to have some questions for him on that regard. And I don't know, it's been a, a very very disappointing uh, season for the U.S. so far, and. Um, you know, it definitely feels like if Sunday doesn't, or tomorrow, I should say, uh, go the way go the way we hope. Uh, like, I, I think it's I think it's over at that point. I really do because I, I just don't I don't see it happening. Yeah, you know, a lot of confidence has wavered in this team, and rightfully so. You know, there's there's so much BS going on off the field, and I think that's more of an issue than what's going on on the field is the stuff that's happening off the field, whether it's with injuries, whether it's with you know this locker room stuff that's been coming out. Because um, every team has a bad season. Yeah. And every team at some point will kind of underperform. What you don't like is when that underperformance, like a, 
there's like that saying of like rolling with the good times Mm -hmm. and like and with the bad like right now you're in the bad times and i think in a way some people on this team seem to be showing true colors or are just not stepping up the way that you want them to to actually perform and like again it's it's so strange because i've always felt like the Eagles teams one of their their strengths was their ability to play through adversity and play through injuries and step up and lead and you're not seeing any of that right now and um i don't know where that inspiration is going to come from or if it's even there at this point but they're really treading water in open sea right now and i i don't know that a lifeboat is coming yeah and shout out to our boy uh giovanni on twitter he said he comments on everything on twitter and said the reason this team was able to be so successful in 2017 was because they were friends they trusted each other and they got to get back to that and i couldn't agree more i feel like there's a lot of division right now with this team whether it's because of on on the field play or whatever it may be this team just needs to unite and get back together rally around each other and uh get this ship back on track because it's sinking fast and if they don't figure it out soon season's going to be over before we even know it absolutely some trade news, though, as the trade deadline approaches on Tuesday. Uh, this was five days ago, and then it was kind of uh, reaffirmed by a national source today, Jeremy Fowler. But uh, Ben Natan writes for Bleeding Green Nation, uh, big fan of the show. He uh, put an article out on Bleeding Green Nation saying that a source told him the Eagles made the following trade offer to the Arizona Cardinals. Eagles would receive Patrick Peterson. The Cardinals would receive a first-round pick and Nelson Aguilar. It's almost like you're paying to get rid of Aguilar. <laughs> That's what it feels like, at least. Um, it's a little bit of an overpay, I think, if, if you look at kind of what Jalen went for and I think the the, the youth that Jalen has over Patrick. Peterson's amazing, though. I think he's, he's a great talent, but um, you do wonder just how much this team is willing to be a buyer right now because of just the way the season has gone. Uh, I view Patrick Peterson in a similar light to kind of how the Sixers were with Tobias Harris. If you're going to trade for him, you know that you're going to re-sign him uh, because he is a pending free agent after this year. And Ben quote tweeted Brandon Lee Gowton's, uh tweet and said, amazed by those opposed to this because Peterson is quote-unquote old. He doesn't turn 30 until next season. He didn't play in the first six games because of the, the PED suspension, which is a red flag to me because it's similar to Lane Johnson. You know, if he gets another one, he's suspended for the full year. Um, you know, he doesn't turn 30 until the start of next season. And, you know, he's been dominant since he's come into the league. So that's also another veteran guy that you could bring in here to potentially get these guys back on track. And the more I think about it, the more I'm not opposed to Patrick Peterson. You know, initially I was mostly because of the PED suspension and just, you know, the the ramifications that come with that. But it's only one first-round pick, and it wasn't, you know, disclosed whether it was this year, next year, whatever it may be. And then Nelson Aguilar's not going to be here next year, so get something for him i guess why not so i wouldn't be mad if tuesday at four o'clock you know we're tweeting and talking about patrick peterson being in an eagles uniform finally no i think you could do worse things as well so that's uh the most recent trade rumor there is uh patrick peterson but uh not a rumor it's official joe girardi the 55th manager in philadelphia phillies history uh he was it was officially announced the other day uh, during the off day for the World Series, and they the Phillies have signed him to a three-year contract, Matt, with a uh, club option for 2023. So Joe Girardi is here. Your thoughts on the new Phillies manager? Meh? <laughs> I don't know. I, like, I'm not, like, 
super over enthused by Joe Girardi. I'm not like taking my pants off right now, but I also think like if you look at just the remaining managers that we were kind of picking through, that I think he was the best choice. And you know, overall, he's he's had a pretty interesting career, and of course, he spent all of it with almost all of it, we should say. Yeah, yeah we said the one year with the Marlins, but um, he spent a lot of it with the Yankees, and you know. I think any manager only spend who spends like ten or eleven years with the Yankees and only wins one World Series, you kind of squint your eyes a little bit, like what happened there. Um, but you know, I I do think that Gabe was a little too green for this job, and I always compared it to David Blatt being hired uh, right before LeBron came back to Cleveland, where he was. I feel like Gabe was hired to do a different job than what he ended up having to actually do. I feel like Gabe was kind of hired with the idea of, okay, you're going to be sort of identifying and growing young guys in the hopes that in you know two, three years we're going to be competitive again. And that kind of got accelerated um, for, for reasons outside of his control. Um, so I always feel like he got a little tough beat for that. I think Joe Girardi is good because I don't think you've, I don't think really in any sport in America, at least, there's a more high pressure job than being the Yankees manager. Um, not just it's Yankees manager and head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Even the Cowboys, though, like Jason Garrett's bit sucked, and it's yeah. like he he doesn't really, he gets heat, but like not like I don't know. I feel like Joe Girardi gets way like he got way more heat as a Yankees manager than mm-hmm. Yankees managers in general. I think always under like heavy scrutiny because not only is it one of the biggest teams in America, like just overall, but also it's one of the, the world that and the just the media market is like mm-hmm. such a frenzy, and there's just so much. Um, so the fact that he was able to deal with that and lead that team to to success is a positive Um, because I do think Gabe I don't want to say he cracked under pressure because I think that's unfair but I do think that again he was a young manager that's that's really difficult to deal with and it's in Philadelphia is also a pretty tough market to to be (laughs) in front of a crowd of 30 or 40 reporters because it's it can be tough Um, and I think Girardi is going to bring a little bit of that and I I also hope that again I don't want to slander Gabe too much but I do think Gabe did have a pretty loose leash on this mm-hmm. locker room, and as I as I think about it and think about Joe Girardi and his kind of sternness, um, how that might actually be really really good for this team. And I think he won't have a problem putting some people carry <laughs> out in his in their place, um, and frankly, just telling them to shut up because I yeah. feel like Gabe was a little too much of the. Uh, I'm a young guy too. You know, we're all friends. We can play but Fortnite Sean together. Rodriguez was on this team, and I I don't, I don't think you'll see that from Joe Girardi. So some uh, some fun Joe Girardi numbers. This is courtesy of the Phillies on Twitter. Uh, 988 career managerial wins. It's fifth most now among active managers. Uh, he was the 2006 National League Manager of the Year with the Marlins. Uh, and then obviously a 2009 World Series champion. And the Phillies followed that up with the kombucha girl meme and said, uh, us posting that fourth slide, but then remembering he's ours now. Uh, and then a, a very awesome quote from Brian Cashman during his uh, you know season wrap-up uh, press conference. He said, quote, To me, if you're going to the marketplace and he's available in the marketplace, you could find no better candidate. He's going to represent their franchise well. He's been a winner his entire career, and so I would expect nothing but the same is going to continue there in Philadelphia, Brian Cashman being the Yankees GM. Aaron Boone looks up at the ceiling like, okay. (laughs) Jeez. Uh, And a lot of people forget, too, Joe Girardi played in the majors for 14 seasons. So, And a lot of times, former 
catchers are the best managers, and that's what Girardi was. He wasn't a great catcher, but he was he was average, and he was able to have a 14-year MLB career. Now he's back in the managing fold, and like you said, I think he's going to not police this clubhouse, but he's going to be, as Jim Salisbury said, a boss and kind of keep these guys in line when it has to happen. He's going to be there for his guys when they, when they need him, and uh, I think of the three managers that the Phillies kind of cast their net out for, this was by far the best possible choice. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, if he if he brings a little more again, like just of this, I don't want to say professionalism again, but like that's that's just what it feels like is part of what's needed for this Phillies team. And um, yeah, I think he also gives a, a pretty good balance between analytics and just uh, emotional intelligence and man management. So I'm. I'm whelmed about this. I, I'm not like over the moon about it, but I'm also I'm not ready to just like give up on the Phillies now. You know, I, I think this is this is a, a step in a a good direction for us, and we'll see how he uh, how he works. But um, I I, th- I think this team needs more than just Joe Girardi this offseason. You know, we we know what's what's going to have to happen, and it involves John Milton opening up his checkbook, getting his favorite pen, and putting down a lot of numbers. <laughs> To a yes. lot of to a lot of pitchers, and the next step, in my opinion, because free agency doesn't start until you know pretty much November, got to figure out the rest of this coaching staff. And you know the names that have been rumored, uh, the the biggest one is the Yankees pitching coach. I'm blanking on his name right now, but he has one year left on his contract. But a lot of people are thinking he's going to need a change of scenery. He was the pitching coach when Joe Girardi was in New York, so there's that familiarity factor there. I'm still on board with bringing Mickey Galloway in, the former Mets manager, but a lot of people forget he was the pitching coach for the Cleveland Indians, and uh, we all know what that Cleveland Indians rotation has been able to do over the past, you know, half decade, I'd say, uh, with guys like Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Mike Clevenger, uh, Carlos Carrasco, who is going to be the uh, Roberto Clemente Award recipient, so shout out to uh, former Phillies prospect Carlos Carrasco. Um Getting this this coaching staff together, I think, is the next step because you bring in Girardi, you bring in Brian Barber. Unfortunately, you didn't fire Matt Klentak, and now the Red Sox are going to get Chaim Bloom, who was my guy that I wanted them to bring in. He uh, he's been with the Rays for like almost twenty years now, and he's only thirty six, uh, and had the Rays operating on a sixty three million dollar payroll. And look what the Rays did this year. He's going to freaking turn the Red Sox into a juggernaut now. I mean, I think some might say the Red Sox are kind of already. I know they had a really disappointing season this year, and everyone kind of clowned them for it. But I think he's, he's going to get that payroll down and yeah. be able to, you know. I, I think if you tell the story of this decade, too, of like baseball, I think the Red Sox are, you know, one of the top three best teams in mm-hmm. this decade. You know, they've been really, And what's weird about the Red Sox is the, the years where they're dominant, they are dominant. Like yes. they are, you know, historically great. Um, but yeah, it's inter- interesting to see what happens in Boston this summer, well, off season. Sorry, um, just because of uh, you know the whole Mookie bet situation, mm-hmm. and yeah, there's some guys on there with some inflated contracts. But yeah, I think overall, you know, for the Phillies, it's it's going to come down to uh, I think just money. <laughs> yeah. Just just spend the money this this off season. That's what matters the most. I the think. one thing that makes me nervous though is Jim Salisbury continues to say that his gut tells him that Garrett Cole's going to end up with the Angels. Which makes me cry. Which makes me want to just bash my head against the wall because... Because you don't know then what... Like, it's you spin the roulette wheel of, like, that, what injury will he get that will right. put him out for the year. And, and then it's not a given that 
Rendon becomes a free agent and you pivot to that way, and it's not a given that Steven Strasburg opts out of his contract, um, which I mean the way he's been pitching this postseason, I'd be shocked if he doesn't, and I would be shocked if Scott Boris doesn't try to direct one of his big three clients to the Phillies because of the relationship he's built up with John Middleton. Um, so, I mean, free agency is going to be a wild ride. You know, there's a lot of talent on the market, and the Phillies are going to have to go after pitching, but they got the manager in place, and I think that's a big step because now free agents know who's going to be running this team, and the success Joe Girardi's had in his managerial career I think will speak volumes to a lot of players, and I think the biggest uh, speculative, speculative ad will be any former Yankees that hit free agency and uh, big ones, Dellen Batances, bullpen guy, was arguably one of the best bullpen pitchers in the sport just last year. And Didi Gregorius is a guy that continues to get linked to the Phillies because he he's a big Joe Girardi guy and seems like the Yankees just don't want him, which is odd because Didi is such a good player. Yeah, and um, I, I just think it, the Phillies are in such a weird spot because everything feels like it's still kind of like primed for success but it also still feels like there's a lot of gates that are holding it back mm-hmm. and um you know if the high quality free it's it's always a bit of a risk when you're sort of depending on free agents because one you're you're not guaranteed that even if they're on the market that you're you're going to land them right i mean we went into last off season with really three guys i think i think we wanted all three of corbin machado and harper i think if, if like an ideal off season is those three you get one of them and i think to get bryce we did overpay um, you know, like again, you're coming into this offseason again where it's a competitive market. Um, I would actually say it's probably more competitive than it was last year. Yeah, but at this least season's even more important than last year. Exactly. Like it, there's there's a lot more to lose, and it's a lot more difficult. And that's that's what makes me worried because, you know, with Girardi in charge, at least you can sell yourself on okay, there's change in that way. But nothing's changed front office wise. The the same people that are making those high level decisions are still there, and those are the same people that. You know, we don't know all that went behind the scenes, but frankly, didn't do enough to address the big issues mm-hmm. last year. And, like, I'm not sure that I trust them. And to... there's been severe overpays, like you said, with Matt Klintak. You look at Andrew McCutcheon. We love Kutch. You know, we're glad he's here, but Matt Klintak overpaid to get Andrew McCutcheon here. You overpaid for Bryce Harper because more than likely you had to. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at Jake Arietta. You overpaid for Jake Arietta. You overpaid for Carlos Santana. It's it's a, it's not just coincidence. It's a trend that has formed with Matt Klintak in these contracts, and that to get guys here, he's had to overpay, and that's a bit of a concern to me because if you have to overpay just to get guys here, what is that saying about how they feel about this team? And hopefully, you know, the guys that are here now, now that you have established veterans in Bryce Harper, in JT Realmuto. Aaron Nola is a guy that is well-respected around the league. Reese Hoskins, even though he's had his struggles, a lot of guys respect Reese Hoskins in this league. Um, And Joe Girardi now added to that fold. Hopefully that adds a bit of interest to these free agents in terms of, okay, there are you know well-respected guys here that know how to win. Let me go join you know that contingent of guys to hopefully get a ring on my finger and build something in Philadelphia that hasn't been there for over a decade now. Yeah, I just I just want good I just want good baseball. <laughs> I, just, I just want to be watching games this time of year and not hating myself because um, 
I hate both teams so yes. much. I never knew that I was going to hate the Astros like I do, but here I am. Still like the players, but everything else, yeah, terrible. Um, but you know, other Phillies news before we move on to the Flyers. Shout out to Bryce Harper, Aaron Nolan, JT Real Muto. They are Rawlings Gold Glove finalists. Yeah, Bryce Harper, Bryce Gold Harper, Glove finalist, man. I was told Bryce Harper couldn't play defense. Weird, crazy. Um, shout out to those three guys though, because they are. The, the core and the faces of this team and for them to get recognized for what they did this season I think is huge. They had fantastic seasons as a whole. Sure, there were spurts in there where there were struggles, but for them to get recognized with the uh, the Gold Glove nominations is huge, and I think JT is definitely going to come away with it. Oh, yeah. um, we'll see what happens uh, with the Silver Slugger nominations as well because I'm sure uh, Bryce and JT will be uh, in that conversation. And uh, I'd be surprised if JT also doesn't win the Silver Slugger Award. JT should get a platinum glove for what it's worth. That man was on a mission this year, and uh, that's another thing that has to happen is uh, just file file for a blank check there and for Garrett Cole, John Middleton, and sign JT to whatever he wants because I want him here for the rest of his career. Absolutely. Fly guys, though, Matt. Big win in uh, Chicago. Sweep the season series from the Hawks. Um they look great, uh, Kevin Hayes. I hope you're taking Joel Farabee out to dinner for the, you know the rest of the month, because uh, you cost him his first NHL goal not once but twice. Yep. And uh, Flyers get another big win. Yeah, I mean, it's been a it's been a weird start to the season for them. A little inconsistency, which is kind of par for the course. But you know, I, th- I think some of those losses too came on that uh, that weird kind of West Coast yeah. trip. And you know, we've seen them with a little more of a normal schedule now. You know, beating the Golden Knights now without beating the Blackhawks, like you're seeing consistency. I think what's most impressive too is the offense has looked great, which bit of a struggle last year. Um, defending was also <laughs> quite a struggle. <laughs> Everything was a struggle last year for the Flyers, but you know you're you're putting up four or five goals a game, and that's um, that's encouraging. So yeah, I think and you're uh, seeing fantastic play from your backup goalie. Yeah, which is Brian in, Elliott has looked fantastic. Yeah, the who knew that we were going to have a, a, a an Elliott Hart discussion, you know, <laughs> in, in October. That's um, that's a good spot to find yourself in, though. And uh, you know, I think anytime you can have a what has been a problem position for the Flyers for my entire life, pretty much, um, at least conceivably, hopefully, maybe sort of figured out with two good goalies. Like that's that's a good place it's to good find to yourself. Good to see Brian in. Elliott healthy too, because that's arguably just been his issues that he hasn't been able to stay healthy and be out on the ice so for him to be able to go out there and Elaine Mignot deciding to ride the hot hand starting him two games in a row is encouraging um so we'll see what continues to happen with them we get a question from good old uncle Mike valued and uh loyal listener on the Facebook feed but he said uh hey guys great show as always after the Chicago game Elaine Mignot was asked about the Flyers slow starts and uh he said well we're doing things differently now what does that mean? Well, <laughs> I think he's. I think he's just like he said. He's doing things differently. He's uh, you know, not gonna get complacent with what's going on. And I think he's just whatever's not working. He's gonna stray away from it until it does again. And he's gonna switch things up because I think we saw that in Chicago where the lines were a little bit, you know, to where we want them to be, and it worked. And I think Joel Faraby being out there was a, a big boost for this team in terms of. Just confidence and and just fresh legs as well. Um, 
So I think Elaine Vigneault is just a guy that's not going to get complacent with this roster because he knows the talent that's there, and uh, he's going to do whatever it takes to make things click and work on a, a game-in and game-out basis. I, I think stagnation is, is a big part of here too because I think with, with some of these players, I think to, to get them motivated or to even just find the, the right link-ups and, and chemistry, you are going to have to move move guys around a bit. and. Um, I don't know that we've like started that slowly, like in games or even as a season as the whole so far this year. I feel like we've, I, I feel like the Flyers have played pretty well, like mm-hmm. all things considered. I, you know, finding ourselves in the position we do now is, I, I think, pretty good. Again, I, I think some of the losses that we've had have more so just been schedule losses rather than, I think, you know, if you're talking really getting deep into the performances. So, yeah, I think there's there's a lot more to be positive about right now than I think uh, negative when it comes to the Flyers. Obviously, situation could still be better but you know you you just look around right now and I think it's a good it's a good spot and um you know obviously we'll see how the rest of the year goes of course but um I I am personally I'm in a good place with the Flyers and that's partly because it's October and I promise I'd be really positive about them but yeah like they've played eight games which is like the fewest in the Metropolitan Division tied with the Rangers and they're 4-3-1 with nine points, which is only three points back of teams that have played double-digit games already. Mm-hmm. So that's a positive sign. Um, you know, they've scored 25 goals. Their goal differential is a positive, which, you know, we haven't seen uh, for some time now, and like this early in the season because we've had those early season struggles the past few years. So through eight games to have won four of them, you've won 50% of your games, and that's a positive sign for this team as they get ready to play Columbus today. Uh, at the Wells Fargo Center, so uh, I think that'll be another good test because Columbus has been playing really well this season. Um, they've gotten off to a, a pretty decent start. They, uh, you know, they've played ten games. They're five, three, and two. So this is a big two points if the Flyers can come away with a win. Just continue to play, you know, solid hockey, and that's what we want to see from them. You want to see consistency, and that's been the issue over the past couple of years. It's just they've been such a streaky team that uh, to see the consistency from this offense now see the consistent goaltending and the defense doing what it what it can to, you know, just keep this team in it. Matt Niskanen is a guy that was, you know, regarded as a, a, a weird trade because you traded Racco Gudis and you brought in more money, uh, has played well for this team. He's been on the ice a lot, and uh, this team's also traveled a ton. You know, they've traveled the most of any team in the NHL uh, where Chicago, when they played Chicago and Prague, Chicago's been home for, you know, seven games now. Flyers have had to go to Philadelphia, Western Canada, Chicago, back to Philly. You know, it's been all over the place, and they've been able to put together, you know, a 50% win rate, which I take as a, a huge positive uh, as we're still in the month of October. Hulk meme. I see this as an absolute, absolute win. win. <laughs> um,. But yeah, other than that, we got Violent High School football tonight. We've got a, a rare Saturday night football game uh, as they take on Washington Township for Washington Township's homecoming game. Uh, Dom Cap in the uh, the Facebook comments says, you think they'll keep playing Elliot over Hart or keep playtime even and go back to Hart more often? I think it'll just be uh, an even split as much as they can as long as you know Brian Elliott's playing well, as long as he's healthy. They'll try to keep Carter Hart off his legs more often than not kind of similar to Joel Embiid where you know Carter's not out there a huge amount of the time and you know if this team somehow ends up making the playoffs like we all hope they can uh he'll be fresh for the playoffs and you have a two goalie tandem for that as well I think it's important to remember that Carter Hart is incredibly young still he's not like a a veteran uh goaltender where 
you can kind of ride him for for long stretches of the season and I think there's nothing wrong with going to the hot end I think even if you look at some of the best goalies in the league they're you know not they'll play you two-thirds of the season you know like there's there's always a little bit of rest involved and yeah I, I take no issue with if Elliot right now, and it, it certainly seems that way, is, has a hot hand, I, I think you, you stick with that, especially since this team, you know, finds itself in a really difficult uh, division. You can't really afford to just kind of, uh, you know, look a, look a gift horse in the mouth, so to speak. You yeah. know, like if, if someone's performing well, I think it doesn't matter what their past performances have been like or anything like that. You have to, I think, just, just roll with it still. So that's uh, that's where I think the Flyers' philosophy is right now. And that's a good problem to have with this team, especially with the goaltending issues they've had in the past. So hopefully they get another dub today at the Wells Fargo Center against Columbus. And uh, we're talking about another Flyers victory. It's a spooky day. Yes. They're, they're having Halloween their, costumes. Their Twitter logo is fantastic. Flyers is the best team in so probably, good. I think, all of like North American sports for Halloween. Cause it's so just good, man. Year-round, um, orange and black. We'll have our Halloween show on Wednesday, uh, the day before Halloween, and uh, have some, uh, some spooky takes and all that good stuff. We'll be talking about the NFL trade deadline. Final football, though, if you have a chance, head out to Washington Township tonight, 6 o'clock, as they uh, look for their fourth win of the season, looking to clinch that playoff spot. Should be a good game. And uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at UndergroundPHI for all your Philly sports updates and nonsense as well. And then subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews with your uh, just your Philly sports takes. We want to read them all. And uh, if we get to 300, we'll be doing another reading of all of the reviews from 200 to 300 on a separate podcast. So flood the podcast reviews and you can also follow us on spotify google play soundcloud stitcher the tune in app and stream and follow us on iHeartRadio. like we've been saying that is our number three uh podcast app that we are pushing along with apple and spotify so if you use iHeartRadio, please 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 just follow us and stream us on there help us out and get the uh the listens up on the old iHeartRadio app or dot com and uh, we will be back on Wednesday talking about the NFL trade deadline, seeing if the Eagles make any moves, see if anything happens with the Phillies. Um, and this Flyers team just continues to uh, perform, and we'll have more Sixer stuff as after this game they come home on Wednesday and then they hit the road for four straight West Coast games. Rip to our sleep schedules. Um, so as always, show brought to you by Main Auto LLC, Douche Arms Pro Foot, Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt, Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Automall, Mark Ronchetti, CPA, LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. This has been Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 179. Hopefully we're talking about an Eagles win as well on Wednesday, uh, taking down the Buffalo Bills. So until then, from Matt, I'm Kyle. We are signing off. Peace.